We are munching through Luke at not too fast a pace. This is the 21st message on, on Luke. And this is a passage that you probably wouldn't choose to preach on. You wouldn't read it in your reading plan and think, boy, I'm going to preach on that someday. Uh, but the good thing about going through a book, I guess, is that you have to deal with whatever comes. And this is what comes next in chapter 7. We're starting at verse 18. Uh, and I'm going to read, we're, we're going to go all the way to verse 35. But I'm not going to read it all now. I'll just read uh, a few of the verses at the start. We're dealing with the issue of doubt. Um, yeah. John's disciples told him, this is John the Baptist. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are healed, are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Yeah, tricky, doubt. John the Baptist is having doubts last week. And again, this is something that you maybe don't always see unless you're working through something quite slowly and carefully. But last week we had the great faith of the centurion, the Roman centurion who sent messengers to Jesus because his servant was sick. And Jesus said, great faith. And now we've got John the Baptist of all people, the guy you would have thought would have had massive faith. And he's having a wobble. He is doubting. And he sends this message to Jesus and says, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? This is John who leapt in his mother's womb, in Elizabeth's womb. As Elizabeth and Mary, both pregnant, came together, John leapt in his mother's womb. This is John who baptized Jesus and was there when the heavens opened and the Spirit came and the voice of God spoke this John is now having doubts. And this just gets us all in a wee bit of a twist because we don't like the thought of somebody having doubts. And we don't want to have any doubts and we don't want to admit sometimes that we have doubt. But John the Baptist sends the question, are you the one who is to come? This is the guy who has previously said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has boldly declared that Jesus is the one who is to come, but now he is not so sure. You see, Jesus doesn't line up with John's expectations. He's hanging out with the wrong people. He hasn't dethroned Herod, this sort of villainous king. He hasn't chased the Romans out of town. Instead, he's out in the, out in the back streets and he's healing people and teaching and doing miracles and then telling people not to tell anyone about it. And John's getting a wee bit confused. And most importantly, he has not come to John's rescue. Because where John is right now is in Herod's prison. And he's never getting out. All right? 
So John's not, not sitting comfortably and, and just thinking things over and struggling with a few issues. He is in prison. And the reason he's in prison is because he called out Herod on a wrong relationship that Herod was in. So what is, what is doubt? First of all, what doubt is not. So you, you, you know what we're talking about this morning. Doubt is not unbelief. Do not put doubt and unbelief together. They are not the same thing. Unbelief is a refusal to believe. It is hearing, it is seeing, and refusing to believe. That's unbelief. Doubt is not unbelief. So what, what is doubt then? Doubt is uncertainty. Okay? I am not sure of everything. That's doubt. So it's a, there's a difference between unbelief and uncertainty. What, what do you doubt? What are the things that rattle about in your head... And to be honest, you maybe feel a wee bit guilty that you have doubts, but they're there. John the Baptist acknowledged his. I think he's a reasonably good example to follow. Maybe we should acknowledge ours. And note, as we'll see later, Jesus does not rebuke John for having doubts. He does not say, how dare you doubt? Okay, that's not the response that John gets. What are the things that rattle around? You might not doubt your salvation, but maybe you doubt your calling. Maybe you doubt where you are right now in terms of, of your, your life of following Jesus and being called to serve him and, and whatever ministry you might be involved in or, or wherever you're at. You're, you're maybe you know, a business that you're running with kingdom principles or ideas that you have. But doubts can creep in and you, you start to get a little bit confused. John is doubting and doubt is not wrong. Right, so I want you to be, I want to be clear about that. Doubting is not sin. We're going to talk later about how to respond to doubt, which is really important. But I want you to know that the presence of doubt is not sin. Unbelief is sin. Rejection of Jesus and what he says and does is sin. But doubt in itself, uncertainty, is not sin. And you should not feel ashamed or guilty about it. Whenever these doubts come... That, that, that John sends to Jesus. He's in prison, as I said earlier. He has called Herod out. Herod has thrown the toys out of the pram because John used a word to Herod and the word was wrong. <laughs> Herod, you're wrong. You should not be in this relationship. It is wrong. And Herod flipped the lid, put John in prison. And you know the story of what ends up happen to, happens to John a wee bit later. And I want you to think about, put yourself in John's position to understand where it is that you can become vulnerable to doubt. He didn't seem to have any doubts when he was at the Jordan River and the crowds were coming to be baptized as, as a baptism of repentance. But now he's in a different circumstance and now he's vulnerable to doubt. And I want to stress repeatedly, doubt is not wrong. And I'll show you later how I believe we should respond to doubt. So physically, how is John? John's tired. I can imagine that if you're in prison, you're tired. You're probably hungry. You don't eat in these prisons unless somebody brings you food. And somebody probably was bringing him food because the messengers were able to be sent to Jesus. Uh, but he's tired. He's hungry. He's burnt out, exhausted. He probably feels a bit unwell. Have you ever been there? Have you ever burnt the candle at both ends? 
Um, for John, it wasn't a choice, okay? This was forced on John. But for some of us, we have a choice of how we use our physical resources, our body, what we put in it. Sorry if this is too practical and not theological enough for you, but sometimes we don't eat well. Sometimes we don't sleep well. Sometimes we work ourselves into a state of exhaustion and we are vulnerable then to doubt. We're not physically in the place where we should be because of the choices that we've made. And there are times in life where things happen and you just have to step up to the mark, maybe in the workplace, and shoulder a wee bit more to just push through something for a month. And that happens and you can't control it. But there are things that you can control. You know, what, what is your rest like? I talk to myself always about this as well. What is your rest like? You're physically drained because you never rest, you never stop. What about what you consume? Is it, is it good for you? If somebody drinks alcohol, is it in, in infrequent and in small amounts or is it a little bit too much because it affects how you think? Yeah, and then you can become vulnerable to doubt and all sorts of things. So physically, John is in a bad place, not because of his own choice, but because Herod has put him in prison. Emotionally, he's on his own in prison. Have you ever been there? Too much of your own company. Silence and solitude are a very good thing for Christians to have, but withdrawing from community on a large scale and not being in fellowship with other people, that's a dangerous and vulnerable place to be. That's where John found himself, not by his own choice, but we make choices about where we spend our time, where we go, who we're with. And if we withdraw and isolate, we are then more vulnerable to doubt. And he is spiritually disappointed. I think Philip Yancey has a book called Disappointed with God. I've never read it. I would, I would like to. He's a good writer. Have you ever been disappointed with God? You don't want to say that because you're a Christian and that would be the wrong thing to say and it would look bad and other people might not become Christians if you're honest about it. But have you ever been disappointed because you wanted God to do something and it wasn't maybe a greedy thing or a selfish thing. You just really wanted to see something happen and you prayed about it and you did everything right and it didn't happen and you're disappointed, you're then again in a, in a position where you're probably at that point vulnerable to doubt. So physically he's wiped out, emotionally he's withdrawn and on his own and spiritually he is disappointed because he's probably sitting thinking to himself, here, um, I've tried really hard, Jesus. And I proclaimed you and I lived a life, a pretty hard, austere life of eating locusts. Now they were dipped in honey and everything gets better when you dip it in honey. But I, I ate locusts and I stayed out in the desert and I wore rough clothes and, and I didn't have much luxury. And I'm now in prison for you. Jesus, I'm in prison because I was faithful. I'm in prison because I got in the face of an evil king and I told him something that he did was wrong. And now I'm in prison. So Jesus, can you tell me why you haven't come to get me out? Why are you going and healing the servant of a Roman centurion? Who cares about him? <laughs> you know, I'm in prison here and I've been so faithful. Why are you faffing about outside a village called Nain that no one's ever heard of, raising a widow's son from the dead, when I'm in prison, come and sort this out. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked around and saw apparently everybody else getting blessed, but you're not? 
And again, you maybe don't want to come out right out and admit it, but there's a wee part of you in the quietness that thinks, what's going on here? I've been faithful and everybody else seems to be getting blessed and I'm left here in this prison. I need to see your power, Jesus. Other people are seeing your power. Other people are getting healed. I need to see it. Have you forgotten about me? Now, if you've never experienced that, like, I don't want to call you a liar, but <laughs> I think anyone who has lived any length of time and anyone who has followed Jesus any length of time, they're going to have moments of disappointment. They're going to have moments when things just don't go the way they had hoped they would go. And, and there are moments then when doubt can creep in and you start to ask those questions. Why is that person doing so well? And why am I not? And you don't verbalize it because you feel a wee bit embarrassed about it. John thankfully verbalized it and then gave us an excuse to talk about it. And Jesus sends the messengers back and he says, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is not particularly helpful for John. Because that's the reason he sent the guys to Jesus in the first place. Back in the first verse that we read John's disciples told him what Jesus was doing at the start of verse 18. So he knows that Jesus healed the centurion's servant and he knows that Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead. So, so for Jesus to send back a message and say, um, here's all the stuff that I'm doing, like, that's not actually particularly helpful for John. What do you do with doubt? We're going to come back to it later towards the end. I want to scoot through the rest of the passage first. But we'll come back to, to it at the, at the end and look at how do, we, how do we deal with those moments that we don't want to acknowledge where there's questions in our head and we feel a wee bit embarrassed about them. Questions that David quite happily asked in the Psalms but that we don't want to verbalize. Jesus goes on to say to the crowd, once the messengers have gone back, he says to the crowd, what did you go into the wilderness to see? They went to the wilderness to see John, but he says to them, what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. What on earth does that mean? Herod's coins that Herod minted when he was king had reeds on them. Okay, he was into reeds. Don't judge him. <laughs> Some dudes are into reeds. He was into reeds. He liked the reeds around Galilee. And he put these reeds on the coins that were used in the area that he had authority over. And Jesus said, did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed? In other words, did you go out to see a king? No, you didn't go out to see a king. Did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind? I think he's having a wee dig at Herod there because like most kings and most uh, political leaders, he'll blow back and forward in the wind to suit the sort of majority opinion. Did you go out to see a fickle king blown back and forward by the opinion of the people? No. And then he says, did you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? Certainly not. John wore you know, camel skin, goat skin. He did not wear fine clothes. If you want to see fine clothes, you're going to the wrong place. Go to the palace. And then he says, okay, so you didn't go to see a reed swayed in the wind. You didn't go to see a guy in fine clothes. What did you go to see? A prophet. Yes, you went out to see a prophet. And Jesus said, not any old prophet, but the greatest of the prophets. Now, Jesus has a way. I want you to catch what he's doing here. It might not change your life, but it might help you understand a wee bit about the way he communicates in the Gospels. He never really comes out and starts screaming from the rooftops, I am the Messiah. But he does it subtly. In his actions and in his words, he reveals who he is to those who will actually think about it and who are willing to be open to listen to what he says. 
And he's doing that here. And you'll see in a wee minute how he's doing it. Malachi 3.1 is what Jesus quotes here, where, where Malachi writes, I will send my messenger who will pray, prepare the way before me. And then Malachi goes on at the end of his book to say, I will send Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And Jesus says in Matthew's gospel that John the Baptist is the Elijah who was prophesied. Malachi said a figure like Elijah is going to come. They dressed the same. They acted the same. And Malachi says this guy is going to come and is going to prepare the way for the king. If a king was coming to visit, he would send somebody beforehand to let the villagers know the king's coming. Get ready. Straighten out the road. Clean the place up. The king's coming. And before King Jesus comes, the Old Testament tells us that someone like Elijah will come and prepare the way. And Jesus says that John the Baptist is that person. And what Jesus is doing is he's telling the people, if you've got ears to hear, hear this. If John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come, then basically, who does that make me? So he might not come out and just say, I am the Messiah, bow down and worship me. But he says, he makes the point, you didn't go to see a king You didn't go to see a guy in fine clothes. You went to see a prophet. You saw the greatest of all prophets. You saw the Elijah who would come. And if that's who John is, then who does that make me? And it's a subtle way of him saying, I am the one. (laughs) I am the king who is to come. But he doesn't just cry it from the rooftops because otherwise he would just have been arrested, put in prison and executed the next day. He's smart. He's shrewd in how he communicates. And then he goes on to say about John, there's been no one up to this point born greater than John. He is the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. And when you think about people like Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jesus says, John is the greatest. But he's the one at the cusp. He's the one at the moment where the old meets the new. He's the greatest of them all. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than John. Jesus is basically saying, I'm doing a new thing. And the one who is least in that new thing is seeing greater stuff than John ever saw. We are so blessed. We are so privileged. We live in the age of the spirit and the church and grace and forgiveness and, and free access to God and Jesus sacrifice once and for all for sin. We live in that. And Jesus is saying it is greater to live in that than to be the greatest prophet of the old covenant. What you're enjoying is better than what Isaiah enjoyed. It's better than what Samuel enjoyed. It's better than what Daniel, even Daniel enjoyed. What you're living in is better than that. And there are two responses at the end of the passage. The tax collectors, the people, when they hear what Jesus says, they acknowledge him and and they follow him. The unexpected people. But whenever the Pharisees and the experts in the law hear it, they reject it. They won't have anything to do with it. The religious guys. And, and, And see, this is the problem with religion. Religion is never pleased Whenever, you know, Jesus says, whenever John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, you said he is a demon. You wouldn't accept the message that John brought. And whenever Son of Man came, eating and drinking, you said he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They're never pleased. They won't accept the message of God no matter what way it comes. And Jesus says, you're like children in the marketplace 
who won't dance for one tune, who won't cry for a different tune. And nobody will actually jump to your tune and that is annoying you. This is the religious people who just have chosen to reject Jesus and will not accept his words. So back to the question of what do you do with doubt as we close? What do you do with doubt? I've I've tried to emphasize from the start that doubt is not wrong. And I want you to just relieve yourself of all guilt and all shame associated with having doubts knocking about your head. You're maybe halfway along the line of something that you felt God call you into and all of a sudden you're starting to have that did he really <laughs> moment. Or maybe you're on the, on, the, on the cusp of embarking on something new and you're just about to take the next step which you can't go back from <laughs> and you're just thinking, oh no, <laughs> did he really say that? Am I really doing the right thing? What do you do with doubt? First thing, Go to community with your doubts. John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples came to him in prison and told him what Jesus was doing. And I'm stretching things a wee bit here, but I hope you'll get the point that I'm making. He called two of them to him and then he sent them with, with a message. He did not just sit in prison festering on his own with his doubts, trying to figure them out in his head. He brought these guys along and he talked to them about it. So one of the first things I would say that you do with doubt is you acknowledge it in, in community. It doesn't mean we all come up you know, one by one this morning and say, here, I doubt this, I doubt that. But in your relationships, in your close contact, over the, over the, um, the meal on a Thursday or a Friday night, over a cup of coffee, that, that you, you just be honest and, and you bring other people in and you share those things. Because hopefully we'll have diffused the guilt that, that can be associated with it. Go to community with your doubts. Second thing, go to Jesus with your doubts. So John brings these guys in and he, he, he sends them then to Jesus. He couldn't physically go to Jesus himself because of prison, but he sends them to Jesus. He brings his doubts to Jesus. Do that. He knows already every thought in your mind. Bring them to him. Take your lead from David in the Psalms who would just get ticked off and say, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? I don't like it. (laughs) Just bring it to God and be honest. Bring your doubts, bring your questions, bring your frustrations to Jesus. The third thing I would say is go to the truth and meditate on the truth. When you have doubt, one of the ways to deal with that doubt is to bring truth in, not to ignore it, or pretend it's not there, deny it, but to, to counteract it with truth. Jesus says to the messengers, go back to John and tell them what you've seen and what you've heard. Tell, them, tell him all the stuff that I've been doing and all the stuff that I've been saying. And we're back again to the old Spence broken record that you want to be in the Gospels an awful lot. Not to the neglect of the rest of the scripture, obviously, but you want to be constantly, Jesus, what did you do? What did you say? Constantly focusing on that, feeding yourself on the truth of who he is and what he did and what he does to counteract doubt. Go and tell what you've seen and heard. And then the actual content of what what has been seen and heard, you might not spot it, unless you're familiar with Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. That's where Jesus is quoting from. 
Jesus knows that John knows the Scriptures. And Jesus points him back into those great promises of Scripture. In your doubt, John, think about these things. It is not a coincidence that Jesus listed this stuff, and it just happens to be the same as something that Isaiah said. He is specifically pointing John back to the Scriptures that he knows and loves. It says, counteract your doubt by meditating on truth. Get truth into you whether that's through reading scripture primarily or also reading some good books. Uh, A while ago, I took a notion to start rereading Knowing God by J.I. Packer, which I'd read years ago. And sometimes when I pick up a book that I've read before, I look at it and think to myself, I've read it before. And I think, no, I'm going going to reread it. And I'm, I'm only about three or four chapters into it. But my heart soars as I read it. Because he just deals with big, glorious truth about who God is. And it's class. It is food for the soul. Food for the spirit. So the way to counteract doubt is to keep on bringing more and more truth into your heart, into your mind. And and, and something that you'll note, and you can play with this later if you want, but if you go back to Isaiah and you look at where Jesus quotes from, he stops short of of a line that says about the captives being set free. Now you think about how John felt as he heard this, and this is sore. This is stingy and this is weighty. Jesus sends the guys back to John to say this, which is a direct quote from Isaiah. I think 61, a wee bit of 35 in there as well. But in 61, the quote goes on to say the captives are set free. Jesus doesn't say that bit. Now listen to what John would have heard in that. Because I think John would have heard Jesus saying, John, I am the one. I am the Messiah, I love you, I see you, I'm not breaking you out of prison. I'm not doing the thing that you want me to do. Now that's got to be hard. Any of you ever in a spot and you have prayed about it and you've sought God about it and you feel the messages come back, I see you, I love you, I'm not taking you out of this. That's hard. And again, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus stopped at that point and did not say the bit about the captives being set free. So John gets this back. What do you do do with that? That is really hard. What do you do when the message comes back? I see it, and my purpose is for you for a season anyway to stay in it. That's tough. Another thing you should go to. So what have we got so far? We've had go to community, go to Jesus, go to truth, go to worship. There's a verse at the end of Matthew 28, and it always just puzzles me when I read it. When they saw him. Now, Matthew 28 is the last chapter of Matthew. Some things have happened before this, like the resurrection. Okay, Jesus has been raised from the dead and has appeared to them. And this is now just as he's about to give the Great Commission. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And you're like, Matthew, why did you write that, mate? Seriously, you could have left that out. But he put it in. Just this glorious sequence of events, the cross, the resurrection, the great commission, in the middle you've got some doubt. And you're like, lads, what are you at? How can you be doubting at this point? 
And I love the honesty of Scripture. I love the honesty of Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he writes it. Some doubt it. Does that mean they didn't believe? No. It just means they weren't so sure. Uncertainty. They, they craved certainty, but they didn't have it. But I want you to note something in this. Look at this verse again. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When I read that, here's what I see. Some doubted, all worshipped. Okay? Some doubted, all worshipped. Their doubt did not hold them back from worshipping him. And the importance of corporate worship has got to be defended in an age again when I feel that that religion wants to pull apart and dissect every song that we sing and every songwriter that writes those songs and just throw the whole lot out and I don't know what it's like for you but there are certain moments here in worship certain lines in certain songs and no matter what way I feel when I come in that line hits the spot. No matter how you have felt during the week. So you might, you might feel like John. You might feel physically knackered, tired, hungry, unwell, not where you want to be. You might feel emotionally alone. You've, you've kept your own company. You haven't seen other people. You've withdrawn because you just maybe haven't had the energy for other people. And you feel lonely and you feel disappointed. You're spiritually disappointed. God did not do what you wanted him to do. And you come in and you're feeling just a wee bit, you know. And then we start to sing. And there are different seasons in, in my journey of faith and in our journey together and table. There are different seasons and there are different lines. But see at the minute this past four or five months, see when we sing the line, all my life, you have been faithful. Oh, come on. <laughs> All my life you have been so, so good. Some doubted, all worshipped. Despite the doubts, despite the tiredness, the disappointment, despite all of that, the decision to just stand and declare truth, you have been faithful. All my life. I love those moments. So when you're doubting church, go to worship and declare the great truths of who God is and what he has done. There is such power in that. David writes, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He basically starts talking to himself and he says, Soul, Sort yourself out and praise God in the midst of your despair and your distress and your doubt. Go to worship. Last one, choose to trust. This is the, the, the heart of, of how to respond to doubt. Jesus said the message that he sent back to John, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He does not say, blessed is anyone who has no doubts. doesn't say that. He doesn't say, John, shame on you, you weakling, you doubted me. You see, I'm just leaving you there and Herod's going to have his way. 
Blessed is anyone who does not stumble. To stumble in the Bible, it's a word that pops up a fair bit in the Old Testament as well. It's a very negative thing. It's a sense of falling away. Falling away from God. Blessed is anyone who does not fall away. So in your doubts, your choice is even in your uncertainty, you choose to trust rather than to fall away. Rather than to start questioning God's character and his faithfulness, you choose to trust him in your doubts. And Jesus says, with that comes a blessing. Do you want to be blessed? Because in your doubt, you have an opportunity to be blessed. Doubt is not sin. It's an invitation to trust. And when you respond to that invitation, when any time a doubt comes into your head, just think of it this way. This is the Holy Spirit giving me an invitation to choose to trust. And Jesus says, I'll be blessed for choosing to trust and not for stumbling and not for falling away. He doesn't say, you know, blessed is, is, is anyone who, who never doubts. He says, blessed is anyone who doubts and chooses to trust. When, when we follow Jesus, we are not choosing a life that is free from doubt. We are choosing a life that is full of trust. Choosing a life that is full of trust. When you're in that moment of doubt, when you're in that prison and Jesus has not met your expectations and he has not done the thing that you really passionately desperately wanted him to do when life doesn't work out the way you want it to when you're still waiting in the dark we're about to hit advent the whole theme of advent in the history of the church is waiting in the dark for the light to come when you're still waiting in the dark when your questions are unanswered when jesus does not swoop in like the the navy seals to rescue you in your prison but instead, instead he sends a message to you that says, I love you, but I'm not taking you out of this. Will you respond to the invitation to trust? Do you remember Paul in 2 Corinthians? He had this satanic opposition. We don't know exactly what it was. But he went to God three times, went to Jesus three times and asked him to take it away. And Jesus said, no, I'm leaving it. But my grace is sufficient for you and my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. So doubt, difficult little topic to talk about. But I hope if you're doubting, you don't feel bad about it. And I hope you hear Jesus saying to you this morning, this is an invitation to trust more. Amen. Let's sing. Let's do response to doubt number four, which was to go to worship.